Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Characteristic of the early church is this ability to fix their eyes on the unseen things that have yet to happen, things that are eternal, spiritual matters. And we're in a series right now that we're closing today called For This Reason I Was Born. And we're talking about what is the purpose and vision of Desert City Church. And this phrase, for this reason I was born, actually comes from Jesus when he's on trial. As Pontius Pilate's trying to figure out who this guy is, he says, for this reason I was born. And he talks about how he came to deliver truth, to reveal truth, that he was Lord. And our thought is, as a church, as we try to figure out kind of our identity and our purpose, one of the things that we said is we want to pursue the way of Jesus in everything that we do. We want to be a group of people moving in the same direction, pursuing the way of Jesus. And we do that by redeeming the past. We have this understanding that all of us have a past, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, what's been done to you, that you have some sort of a past. And whatever has happened or whatever you've done, God can take it and he can redeem it. We also pursue the way of Jesus by being faithfully present. We talk about this idea of a presence here in the community, collectively us as a church, but also as individuals in our families. We want to be present to God and present to people. Today I want to talk about this idea of an imagination. Actually, reimagining a future as a church. And as we've been going through this series, I've been telling stories that have had just kind of these big influences on me. And as I've shared the stories, uh, there are stories that many of you have actually heard before, but there's so many people that are kind of here and new that I've wanted to kind of reshare and retell some of these stories. And the story that I want to share today happened back in 2010. Back in 2010, I was hiking. Uh, I like to hike here in Phoenix, and uh, I'll hike year-round because I'm crazy. I don't know. I love to hike. Uh, but I was hiking Dixie Peak back in 2010. Dixie Peaks over off of like the entryways off 40th Street, just south of Shea, uh, kind of Trail 100. I don't know if you guys have ever been over there, but you hike Dixie Peak and you get to the top of Dixie Peak, and I love it because you can look out. If you look east, you, you can see Paradise Valley, you can see Mummy Mountain and Camelback Mountain. You look south, you can see Squaw Peak, and you can see all the way downtown. You look west, and you can see kind of the North Mountain uh, Phoenix Preserve. So I love getting up on, on Dixie Peak, and I was hiking with my friend. 
And as we were hiking, there was a, a man that was hiking up behind us. And he was older, and he was definitely uh, a lot older than us. And he had a shirt off, and he was kind of all dark and leather, leathery. You could tell that. He, he hikes a lot, right? And as he got closer, we realized that not only was this man older, he was probably like in his 70s. And he was catching my buddy and I as, as we were going up this mountain. And so we were like, you know, at first we saw him coming, and we're like, I wonder if we should like wait to help him. And then we're like, oh my goodness, he's catching us. We can't let him catch it. Then he caught us, and we're like, yeah, we were just, you know, we saw you walking up here and wanted to see how you were doing, you know. And, then, and so then we actually were trying to keep pace with him. And as we were hiking up, this, this older gentleman was very kind, and we just started a conversation, and he was talking. And we found out that he actually was from Phoenix. He was a native Phoenician. So he had been here since, like, the 40s, which is, you know, rare to find in this city. And he had talked about how he actually grew up in Paradise Valley and had, you know, back then there was nothing there. It was just all desert. And started to tell the story of, of Paradise Valley and Phoenix watching it grow. And uh, as we were just kind of like talking about kind of the old city, the old Phoenix, he, 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 we were looking over at all these kind of equestrian style, ranch style homes that are in Paradise Valley. And he said, oh yeah, you know, those houses, everyone just, just assumed those were the mafia houses. And like, I love anything like mafia, mob, you know? So I was like, wait, what? Like, and he's like, oh yeah, we just, you know, everyone just assumed that's where the mafia lives. And I was like, there's mafia in Phoenix? So he starts going through all these stories about like the mob in Phoenix. And there was this car bomb in the late 70s in downtown Phoenix, some of you may know about that. But he said it was just kind of understood that, uh, you know, the, the, they do their work up in Vegas and then they have their families down here in Phoenix. And this is where they would come to kind of get away from everything. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And he's like, oh, no, 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 yeah, that's true, it's true. So, you know, like all mafia stories, you're like, how could that be true? But one of the things he started talking about was, you know, over, over off of like uh, 19th Avenue and Greenway, there was this landfill. And everyone just assumed this is where they would dump the bodies, right? <laughs> over on 19th Avenue and Greenway. And I was like, 19th Avenue and Greenway? I kind of grew up around there. And, and he's like, yeah, you, back in the late 70s, some church got suckered into getting the land. And now it's owned by a church, this old landfill where they just dump the bodies. And I was like, that's the church I grew up in. Like, what? what? <laughs> and like, my dad used to pastor there. And I was like, no way. This, I, this can't be. And so like, and, and I started thinking about it. And I know that the, the church, the church of Desert City came from, that was sent out from, is this church that sits on this old landfill. And what's so interesting is it, it, it's a landfill that used to be used for a dump. Maybe it was used for burying bodies. I don't know. Uh, but now it's used as, as a place that disciples people the land has been kind of repurposed and reimagined for something good. And the people that, that had the foresight to, to get it, obviously they probably got it at a great discount. Actually, in fact, I think it was gifted to them. <laughs> Used that land uh, for the kingdom of God. They, 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 they imagined this place that was a place of a, a dump of waste, of despair, and turned it into something beautiful. There was this reimagination of what this land could be. So deep down, even in the DNA of Desert City is this idea of, we, we talked about like even like taking things that are, are decaying and dead and wasteful and using them for something good. Now I don't know if that story is true or not, but it's a good story, right? So it's a good, but, but I want to talk about this idea of even reimagining, reimagining things that are, are dead and are decaying and are waste. If we are a church that is reimagining the future, we have to be a place that looks at outcomes and locations and people that seems like there's no hope. 
and we reimagine what a future could look like for those outcomes, those people, those places. We want to be a place that is reimagining the future. As a church, uh, our kind of defining doctrine is the resurrection. We believe that Jesus came, that he lived on earth, he revealed what God is like. He died on the cross, and he conquered sin and death, and he rose again. We are people of the resurrection. Resurrection means anything can happen. It means any circumstance, any situation is not beyond hope. And this is foundational for us. We want to have uh, an outlook on life where we believe our future can be better because of what God is doing in the midst of it. So when people ask, what kind of a church is Desert City? We're a church that is reimagining the future. We're pursuing the way of Jesus. We're redeeming the past. We're faithfully present, and we're reimagining the future. Every single day is loaded with possibility that God can work in your life. We reimagine, reimagining the future requires a prayerful expectation. Reimagining the future requires a prayerful expectation. Praying to God, aligning our hearts with God, and trusting that God is going to show up. When we have a prayerful imagination, it opens us up to all sorts of possibilities. And there's something that happens in our prayer life that I want to make a distinction. So often we don't pray necessarily with imagination. We'll pray with desire, we'll pray with hope, we'll pray out of desperation. But not often do we pray with an imagination. Oswald Chambers, I like to call him Ozzy Chambers. Many of you will read his, for my utmost, my utmost for his highest. Talks about this idea of prayer and imagination. He says, one of the reasons for the stultification in prayer, stultification, that's, that's a great word. That's a, he, he's obviously like English or something, but stultification means uh, to cause to lose interest because you think something's foolish. He says, one of the reasons of stultification in prayer is there is no imagination, no power of putting ourselves deliberately before God. Imagination is the power God gives a saint to posit himself out of himself into relationships he never was in. Imagination is the greatest gift God has given us and ought to be devoted entirely to him. Learn to associate ideas worthy of God with all that happens in nature, the sun rises and the sun sets, the sun and the stars, the changing season, and your imagination will never be at the mercy of your impulses, but will always be at the service of God. I love that idea when it comes to our imagination as we pray. And oftentimes what happens is we come to God in prayer with our own kind of hopes and desires, and we think if we could just like will it to happen through prayer, then God will show up. But what prayer does, prayer when we connect with God, when we spend time with him, it gives us those hopes and desires. And so sometimes we, we almost come to prayer backwards. We got what we think that we need, and so if we take that before God, then he'll show up for us. But in the midst of praying, he gives us this holy imagination and helps us to dream up possibilities for our future. We come to God in prayer with this imagination, this holy imagination, and expectant of what God will do. 
we think about kind of our situation, where you're at in life, how often do you come to prayer and say, God, give me an imagination for my future? I love that idea of the stultification of prayer. Uh, so often our, our prayer life becomes kind of like numb or dead because we just kind of, we know how God works or how he's not going to work and we just assume that he's not going to work. Or prayer seems so routine or, or so uh, mundane. The stultification of prayer. G.K. Chesterton talked about the idea of when children pray. There's a vitality to it. There's a vitality to life. And we've noticed this with our children, with Micah and Sophia. Every night, like, we'll read, we'll read through this. Uh, uh, I'll read a book with Micah, and it kind of goes through these different, like, uh, leadership qualities for a child, you know, like helping him be integrity, be a man of integrity and honesty. And, and then at the end, there's this prayer, and it's so fun to pray with him because uh, he prays with such a hopeful heart. G.K. Chesterton talks about kind of the attitude of a child when it comes to our prayer life, and he says... Uh, this because children have the abounding vitality. Children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, "Do it again," and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> We've all experienced that, right? For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. What a great thought. When we approach our prayer life, so often we have grown old. We just assume we know how the world works. We've given up hope that God can work out something miraculous for us in the future. I wonder if you've settled into such a rut that you've, the stultification of prayer has squelched your imagination. We want to reimagine the future. We come to God and say, give us this holy imagination. Let us know what is possible. When we approach outcomes, people, and places, we approach with this imagination and prayer. Reimagining the future also requires seeing your past as God sees it. That's important. Seeing your past as God sees it, not just as you see it. As we talk about even redeeming the past, all of us have a past. And I think so often when we consider our future and consider what possibilities uh, we have, we're hindered by our experiences. We're hindered by the reality of the world, right? I, I once heard people who are, are, are extremely cynical used to be dreamers, and their life hasn't worked out for them. And so like the same passion they had for their dreams gets turned into cynicism. We consider even what that means for us collectively as a church. Our story of Desert City is that we're tied to kind of a family of churches here in Phoenix. That family of churches started all the way back in 1907 in downtown Phoenix, before, before Arizona was even a state. 
there was a, a church plant from kind of like our tribe of churches that started downtown. And, and the church there uh, served in downtown uh, for, for like 70 years before it found the mafia landfill, right? Uh, but they had this rich season downtown. They said that they were a church with a heart in the heart of Phoenix. And if you know the story of Phoenix, Phoenix really kind of exploded over the last 30 years, and it started to grow out. It now it has become like this mega suburb. But it used to be kind of more of a, a maybe smaller village. And all of the people who went to this church were downtown, and, and they had this great ministry, this church that uh, was serving in downtown Phoenix. Kind of in their heyday back in like the 19, like 60s, 1965, they had a, they even, their music was so good. I mean, it wasn't like Tim Stansel good, you know, right? <laughs> Uh, but they actually had a TV show called like Voices Over the Desert or something like that. I mean, it was like this thriving community. But as the city started to grow, everyone started to kind of move out to the edges of town, moving out to the suburbs. And the, the church realized if we want to continue to reach people and get ahead of where the city is going, we need to plant more churches. And the church had maybe like 600 people at that time, and they could never kind of grow more, grow larger than that. And then they got to a point where they, people were moving all over town, so they said they had to start planting churches. So they had this vision to plant like 12 churches around Phoenix. And uh, they moved further north, got the mafia, landfill lands. They also planted a church out by the Cardinal Stadium. They planted a church in Ahwatukee. They planted a church out in Scottsdale. Uh, they planted a church all the way out in Maricopa. And now there's about like 12 churches and that were a part of this family that had this, uh, this family of churches that all kind of draw our, our story uh, back to downtown Phoenix. In the midst of all of these plants, what happens with churches is sometimes churches split, sometimes churches intentionally plant. Uh, churches pop up kind of out of nowhere and, and do well. Some churches are intentional plants and they don't do well. But what we've gotten to a point in our kind of our, our group of churches, what we've realized is that we've been strategically placed throughout our city to reach more people with the love and hope of Christ. And no matter how all of these churches were put in place, what God is doing now is taking this group of churches and he's created this movement of people that are united for mission. As we look back at how all these churches were planted, what we see is this hand of God kind of guiding all the churches throughout our history here in the city. And God has taken all of these churches now and is moving them forward as a, a kind of a united movement of churches that we're a part of, which is exciting Exciting for us at Desert City, but exciting also for what God is up to in our tribe. God looks at our past and says, all of this that has happened to you, I'm now using it for such a time as this. So for Desert City, there's this, we, we, look, we consider our, our history of churches, we see it as God sees it. But then it also has huge implications for us individually. Because we've had all sorts of things done to us in our life. We've had things that we've done to other people. And as we consider our past, as we consider our baggage, as we consider the things that we're ashamed of, the things that uh, cause us uh, sadness and mourning, what we find is that the hand of God is with us the whole time. And we don't understand how it always works. And there's not like, we're not saying that necessarily God did certain things to us, but God was with us throughout the past. And because of that, he can take anything that is a part of our history and use it for our future. When we see our past as God sees it, what we find is that there is redemption to our experiences. 
There's redemption to our experiences because the God that we follow is eternal. And we're a part of an eternal kingdom. And we can't understand all the time what has happened to us. But as we see the past as God sees it, we have hope and imagination moving forward in the future. Philippians 3.16 talks about this, striving towards what is ahead and understanding what has gone behind us. When it comes to our past, kind of three things can take place. Our past, there's things that can be forgiven, there's things that can be forgotten, and there's things that can be redeemed. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, redeeming the past. There's things that are forgiven, there's things that are forgotten, and there's things that are redeemed. When we reimagine the future, we consider our past experiences through the lens of what God is up to in this world. Also, reimagining the future. Reimagining the future requires the courage to start over, to start anew, a fresh start. Fresh starts aren't easy. They require courage. And oftentimes, we don't want to try to imagine that we have a great future because we've been disappointed, we've been let down, we've had experiences not turn out how we've wanted. And here's what I've found in my life, even as a pastor, is that failure is an event. It's not a person. So all of the things that we have done where we've failed, all the dreams that we've had that have just been destroyed, the relationships that we've had that haven't worked out, the families that we've had that have been broken, those aren't reflective of us as a people. They're reflected of circumstances. And we start to understand that our failures, we're not failures. The events that we're surrounded with, those are isolated events. But we believe that God thinks we're so valuable and he loves us so much that he would die for us. That means that we're not failures. That means that everything about our lives are redeemable and hopeful. Failure is not an event, or is, a, is an event not a person. And Isaiah 43, 18 says this, considering the future. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. God is up to something new in your life today. And God is up to something new in this community at Desert City Church. But to lean into that newness, to lean into that fresh start requires courage, to be willing to open yourself up to dreaming again. And finally, reimagining the future requires taking bold and calculated risks with your life. If we want to have this holy imagination and pursue the things that God is calling us to, it involves risk-taking. And this is true... Uh, you know this is true with relationships. You know this is true with different business endeavors. This is true with all things that we create. There's risk involved. As a church, we want to be willing to take calculated risks to reimagine what a church can like in this, look like in this community. We also want to be individuals who are willing to take risks for the things that God has placed in our heart. And as we open ourselves up to this holy imagination, we step out in faith to pursue the things God puts before us. As I started Desert City, I was reading a bunch of like, entrepreneurial books and 
it's hard to, to think of like the business side of the church, but you kind of have to think of the business side of the church. But one of the books I stumbled across was called The Lean Startup. If you've read The Lean Startup, great book on entrepreneurship. Uh, one of the things it was talking about was these, uh, like how industries are changing, right? We're in this huge shift in, in our culture and our society. Everything's moving digital. Everything's moving to the tech world. And talks about how uh, all, all these new kind of startups that are changing industries goes through kind of a couple different case studies and talks about how as the industry is changing, businesses are trying to kind of get ahead of the curve, get ahead of, of where, the, where the market's going, where the economy's going, where the industries are going. So we have all these different pop-ups like Uber all of a sudden out of nowhere. And it's like rocking the taxi world, right? Industries are changing. The same thing that's happening in the business world very much is happening in the church world. The religious culture, the religious landscape of, of our country is constantly changing. And if you read the statistics on kind of like where church is going in our culture, it's kind of terrifying, right? We have churches closing doors all the time, churches losing, uh, losing members, churches in decline. And our hope is as a church plant is that we believe that when followers of Jesus gather together, something significant and sacred happens. When we gather on Sunday, we're formed as a people. As we meet throughout the week, we share life together. We think that this is important what we do, church. That's why we, uh, we give our lives to this thing called the body of Christ. We realize that as church is in decline, we also have to be inventive in our ways of doing church. And what I love about this guy, Eric Riles, who wrote this book about entrepreneurship, he talks about these, these people who are changing their industries, and it says, he says, these, these people, they can see the future of their industries, and they are prepared to take bold risks to seek out new and innovative solutions to their problems their companies face. And I thought, that's what church planning is. What you're doing to be a part of this here at Desert City is we're able to, to look at kind of the industry of the, the church world. We're able to look at culture. We're able to look at uh, the brokenness of our city, assess the problems and say, we need to be willing to take risks with a holy imagination uh, to join God in his redemptive work in this world. Church planning is risk-taking. Being a part of a church community is risk-taking as we share life together. But I think it's important, and this quote from Tim Keller kind of helped me understand what we're doing here, or why we should do what we're doing here. Tim Keller says, the vigorous and continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for, one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city, and two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of existing churches in a city. So even as we plant a new church in a community that doesn't have a lot of churches, we have this understanding that God has called us to something that is bringing about revival in our neighborhoods spiritual awakening in our neighborhoods. To be a part of a church plant is to, to take a risk to join God's work where we're inviting people to fall in love with Jesus in a brand new context. And it might look different than church as we know it, but it's still the body of Christ. As we take calculated risks with a holy imagination to reach more people with love and hope and forgiveness, as we take these risks, we're joining God in this great redemptive work. And it's such an honor to be a part of something from the start, to be a part of 
uh, a new church. It's an honor to be uh, a part of what we're doing here. But there's also work to be done here. As we consider how we want to redeem the past of people in this neighborhood, our past, as we consider how we want to be faithfully present, whatever that looks like as we move forward, we have to reimagine the future of the church. And we have to reimagine the future of discipleship. What does it look like to follow Jesus in this context? And so today, my hope is to create this hunger for a holy imagination in you. To be open to what God has for your future. Our desire is to be a group of people full of hope and light and love that reflect the image of God doing God's work in this neighborhood. So today as we move to communion, a few things to consider. As we move to communion, uh, Tim will come back up and, and close us with a song. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, talks about this idea of, as followers of Jesus, let us throw off all things that hinder us. Let us throw off all things that hinder us from experiencing the life that God has now. And uh, I want to close with this thought, this consideration of what hinders us. And uh, there's a, an old practice that the church used to do called the prayer of examine. And uh, it's a very kind of visible uh, practice of, of prayer. And this is something we don't normally do, but I want to do it as we consider our past and our future. But if we could all stand up. And as we consider reimagining the future, we hold out our left hand. And in your left hand, imagine all of the things about your past that hinder you from reimagining a future. The weight of your past, maybe it's things that you've done. Maybe it's things that have been done to you that are heartbreaking. Maybe it's circumstances. Uh, maybe it's situations at work that haven't worked out how you've hoped. When you feel the weight of the things that are in the past, allow those to fall into your left hand. And then you hold out your right hand and you consider your future. When you think about the future and the anxiety that might, it might bring, when you consider your future and there's uncertainty, there's uncertainty at work. There's uncertainty with family. There's things that cause anxiety. You feel the weight of that land on your right hand. So we consider our past and we consider our future. The things that would hinder us from imagining something great that God has for us. When we hold the weight of that, we turn our hands over and we just let it all go. My hope is that you would feel the release of our past, the release of the anxiety of the future you would let that go today as we head to communion. And then you would open up your hands again to receive this morning from God a holy imagination that God would speak to you, that he would open you up to a new beginning. And as we go to communion today, what communion represents is this work that God has done in this world that frees us from our past, that opens us up to the future. And we receive today from God as we head to communion. Communion represents the body of Christ, which is the bread that was broken open for you. There was this great work in this world that was done by God as his son went to the cross and died, absorbing all of sin and brokenness. And the juice represents the blood of Christ that was poured out, that was shed on the cross 
that wipes away our sin and brokenness and frees us up for a future. Today, as we head to communion, let's receive from God unhindered a holy imagination. Let's pray, then we'll move to communion. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. And Lord, as we consider your work in this world, we pray that we would fix our eyes on what is unseen. That we would fix our eyes on things that are eternal, on things that are intangible. And that you would refresh our hearts right now, Lord, with hope of a new day, a new calling, a new plan. That you would give us a holy imagination. That we wouldn't fix our eyes on things that are seen, that are, are decaying, Lord. That we wouldn't fix our eyes on things that are seen, that completely stress us out and overwhelm us. But we'd fix our eyes on you. So we come to communion today, Lord, with this hope. Open and available to you. In your sons and we pray. Amen. As we leave today, may we be filled with this holy imagination that we would reimagine outcomes in our life, knowing that whatever our past is, whatever we're worried about in the future, that God can make all things new. As you leave today, may you be blessed with that spirit of the resurrected Christ. We love you. Have a wonderful week. If you want to stay for the kids' meeting, it's right down the hall. Have a great week.